Before we get started in Judges chapter 14, what I was looking for is I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, because I think it's really important that we see this before we read what we're going to read, or at least going to start reading. So it's Hebrews eleven thirty-two. I didn't put the slide up for it, because quite frankly, I didn't think about this until five seconds ago. But let's pray, and then we're going to read this verse, and then we'll go back to Judges 14. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are and your grace and your mercy upon all of us, Lord. That you know us, you know us intimately, you know our faults and our failures, our strengths and our weaknesses, and yet you love us and you use us. And we're grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Hebrews chapter 11, this is called the Hall of Faith, where the writer, who I believe is Paul, is writing and he's listing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit all these great men and women of God who by faith have been saved. And there in verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson. Samson is listed in the hall of faith. And Jephthah also of David and Samuel and the prophets. He's listed there right next to Jephthah and David. Crazy. Because this isn't going to be the same guy you're thinking as you turn back to Judges chapter 14. Because in Judges chapter 14... We remember in chapter 13, um, Samson, I almost called him Samuel. That's how this evening's going off already. Samson was born. He has this miraculous promise. We've seen the Lord there with his mom, and we saw this incredible journey and this discussion between mom and dad and the Lord and this great promise and how Samson is going to be used by God to deliver the nation of Israel from the Philistines. Correction, to begin to deliver the nation of Israel from the Philistines. And we talked a little bit about that. So if you missed that, you can get online and you can watch that sermon. Let's start in verses 1 through 4 as Samson has now grown older. And Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up, told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. And his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And so between chapter 13 and 14, we have this gap of time where Samson has grown up, whether he's in a teenager, a young man, uh, a grown adult, I'm not really sure. But we don't know anything about his background. How was his childhood? Was he raised? Was he going to the synagogue? Was he going to the temple? Well, the temple wasn't built at that time. Was he going to the tabernacle? Uh, Was he instructed in the ways of righteousness? Was he growing in the Lord? Was he growing in the scriptures? Was he just completely wild? We know that he has kept the Nazarite vow. That we know. And it's going to be brought up a few times here in this chapter. That means he keeps his hair long. He has never cut it all of his life. Can you imagine how long his hair must be? He has never touched grapes or wine. And he has never touched a dead thing, including the funerals of his family members. Never done it. This is a particular vow 
to show a special relationship and covenant with God. He's kept those things. But what else is going on? Is his family life good? Is he from a poor family? Is he from a, poor, a rich family? Uh, is he picked on by the other kids? I mean, if I got a guy around me that hasn't cut his hair in 18 years, I might make fun of him a little bit. I don't know what the culture's like at that time. But these are all things that I begin to think of as we see him just pop up into the scene here. And then we see a little bit about who Samson is. Samson, he is not struggling from any kind of anxiety. He does not mind people. He does not mind crowds. He gets whatever he wants whenever he wants it. He is aggressive, assertive, intelligent, we're going to see. He is witty. And all these things are characters that some people naturally have and other people do not. And we're going to see where it's good, and we're definitely going to see where it's bad. If I were going to title this message, which I'm usually too lazy to do on a Wednesday, I would call it How to Wreck a Family in a Few Easy Steps. First step, just go pick a random woman that you desire that has a completely different value system and background than you do. Just pick out the hottest chick you can find and tell your parents that's who you're going to marry. That is step one to ruining a family. But we see in society today that that's how a lot of people do it. Incredible. Samson goes to his folks and says, I met a girl in the next town. Go get her for me. What? Like, how, how does that work? Now, this is an interesting thing because the commentators, they, they begin to go in different directions here, and I don't want to go this route. So some commentators talk about how he must have fallen in love with this woman, and he was in love with her, and he wanted to have a relationship with her, like this is some kind of Romeo and Juliet. I doubt it. Honestly, I doubt it. Uh, it doesn't seem to be that way. And also, if you know about uh, Middle Eastern culture and Eastern culture, and you know about Old Testament culture, uh, no marriage at that time is for love. It's arranged, it's decided, it's organized. So I don't think it's for love, but it's possible. I want you guys to know that. One is he just wanted to grab a girl, and he wants to grab that one. That's the one he wants to take home. Because remember, in that society, women are property. You know, they don't have rights. They don't get to vote. They don't get to own uh, companies. They don't get to lead things. They, don't, they are the property. And that's why they're traded by the adult males in the family. So my theory is he just wants to grab this gal and just uh, have relations. Another is that it's just it's pre-planned. Like they had already decided, hey, it's time to get married. You need to go find a wife. Okay, she's good. I'll, t- I'll take that one. The, the question is, though, why is it a Philistine lady? Why is he going outside of the rules? The rules are that you're supposed to stay within the nation of Israel, within the tribe, the tribe's plural, excuse me, and that you're supposed to keep that holy. You're supposed to keep that sacred and sanctified. He's not interested in that. I think there's a lesson for some of us here. It's a hypothesis, but I wonder if in Samson's life, his relationship with God is 100% based on keeping his vow and not on an actual relationship with God, not on loving God, not on knowing God, not on understanding Him. He's simply been told his whole life that God will be pleased if you, if you don't cut your hair, you don't play with the grapes, and you don't touch dead things. 
I know in our lives, we know people that they feel that they just come to church on a Sunday once in a while, they're good. They do a couple good things, check a couple boxes, they must be good. Well, we're going to see that is not correct. Now, what makes us really scratch our heads in this portion of Scripture? In verse 4, when it says, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Now, I want us to be crystal clear. God is not approving of this. He is not saying this is a good thing. He is not saying he adored, he, uh, excuse me, ordained this thing, made it happen. He is simply acknowledging that he is going to use this situation for good. You know, like most of our lives. You know, there's a lot of bad choices, bad decisions that we make, things that we regret. But God was not surprised. The Lord is never sold a false bill of goods. You ever been ripped off before? You bought something, you thought it was one thing, and you take it home, you open the package, and it's not what you thought it was going to be? Well, some of us, you know, we like to clean up our act, and we like to go before God, and we like, you know, sell Him a false bill of goods, and then after He's sealed the deal and we're saved, or when we're trying to negotiate with Him something, Lord, if you do this, I'll give you that. You know, if you just give me this one thing, you know, then I'll follow you. I'll come to church. And here you are at church fulfilling your end of the deal. He's not surprised or shocked by that. He knew exactly what He was getting. Your deepest, darkest secrets, your terrible portions of your personality, the things that you think that are strengths in your life that are actually weaknesses, the weaknesses in your life that are actually strengths. He knows all those things. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows every thought from afar off. He knows every hair that falls from your head. Everything. He knows it all. He's not shocked. And the same thing is true of Samson. He knows as these things are unfolding before his eyes, as Samson is going down this terrible road, taking this Philistine, demanding of his parents, that he is going to be written in Hebrews 11:32, in the Hall of Faith by grace, unmerited favor. That should be incredibly encouraging to each and every one of us here. Because we are all messed up. But he knows what he's getting. And we should be able to relax and take a deep, deep sigh of relief. Not Samson, though. He's really going to mess this up. Let's see how he does. Verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Now we're talking. Verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman. And she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and he also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought him 30 companions to be with him. Now, there is a lot going on in there. 
Uh, first, first, in, very, in verse 5, right when we start off, we begin to see the compromise already. Not that we didn't already see it with him trying to take a Philistine woman, but a compromise with his Nazarite vow is beginning. First thing we see in verse 5, he came to the vineyards of Timnah. He's now skirting around. He didn't touch the grapes. He's not eating the grapes. He's not drinking wine. He's not having alcohol. He's just around it. You know, no big deal. Already he's beginning. This is bad. Now, then at the end of verse 5, is one of the coolest, manliest things I've written, I've read in all of Scripture. A lion, a young, strong lion, comes out of the bushes and attacks him. And what does he do? The Lord comes upon him in verse 6, and he rips the thing apart with his bare hands. Come on, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Just walking along to my girlfriend's house, guess what happened to me? A young lion came out. I ripped it to shreds with my bare hands. Then I posted it on Facebook and Instagram, and I called the local news. No, Samson is so cool, he simply carries on to his girlfriend's house afterwards. Hey, you got a little scratched up there. What happened? Don't worry about it. No big deal. I'll check on it later. But that's what's written here. As, as though he had nothing in his hand, he had nothing in his hand, verse 6, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. He is so chill, he does not even share with anyone what has happened. I really relate with Samson. He is the biggest jerk. He is arrogant. He is uh, aggressive. He just takes whatever he wants. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I kind of like this guy. I'd kind of like to hang out with him. But he's a terrible person. He's a terrible human being. Now, he kills this thing. He throws it off in the bushes. So he's already touched a dead body. But we could kind of be like, okay, not that big of a deal. What was he going to do, die? No, he had to fight it off. Then he goes in verse 7. He went down and talked with a woman. And what does it say? And she pleased Samson well. What does that mean? I don't want to find out. After some time when he returned to get her, what, did he tie her up? We have no idea. She's just staying there. She's at her family's house. Uh, apparently, they made an arrangement. He decided, you know, I'm going to marry this woman. I'm going to take her. He goes back, and he turns aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. So he's hungry. He sees that honeycomb, and he says, man, that looks good. And now he's going to compromise again. Now it's 100% a dead body. This is a ultimate fail. He has decided to break his Nazarite vow to fulfill his appetites. You can see that his appetites and his want to just get whatever he wants, that's what controls him now. And so he goes over there and takes the honeycomb out. I want to remind you that there is a swarm of bees around the honeycomb. Does that bother Samson? No problem to him. I'm not going around a beehive without a giant suit on. But not only will Samson rip a lion apart with his bare hands, he will go inside a beehive to get some honeycomb and bring some home to mom and dad. And that's exactly what he does. This guy's toughness is not for discussion. His intelligence, we'll see, is going to be way off to Richter scales. His morality and his spirituality are in the depths 
negative 100, F. No discussion with the Lord at all. No desire to know the Lord or to question Him. Just gets what He wants. And then He draws other people into compromise. Remember, the Lord had told His mother to keep that Nazarite vow as well, as long as He was in the womb. But they give the food. It gives the honey to mom and dad, and they also ate. So it's just involving them in the compromise. Now, one area I do want to go deeper into the text is in verse 10, when they're having the bachelor party. He has a feast there for the young men used to do. In the original Hebrew, to give a feast, it literally means drinking feast. This is a uh, bachelor party, the bad kinds. Is he drinking there or not? Well, to me, it insinuates that he is, but I don't know. It is a drinking party. That's the name in the original language. And, of course, if you're going to have free alcohol and a party at the very end of verse 11, and they brought 30 companions to be with him, it's very easy to find 30 guys to hang out at a party with free alcohol, but they show up, which is going to be important for this next portion of Scripture in verses 12 through 18. And I want to remind you as we're reading this, the man is in the hall of faith. What does that tell you about the grace of our Lord? Verse 12, Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. Verse 14. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, listen to this, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in in order to take what is ours? Is that so? Verse 16. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him for seven days while their feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Dang, Samson, chill, man. What in the world? I said, how do you destroy a family in several easy steps? Well, first tragedy is this. We do not know what Samson's relationship is like with his wife. We have no idea. It has just started. It's brand new. They're still in the feast days. Uh... Is it a relationship of love? Was it a relationship of negotiation? Was it a little bit of both? Was it just lust? We don't know. And so it's hard to say. What we do know is this. She is a Philistine, 
and her Philistine people come to her. Now, why is this riddle such a big deal? You can go down to Walmart and you can buy a pair of jeans. I mean, in Biden's America, it's probably $300, but pretty cheaply considering, you know, a lot of us are throwing away clothes and bringing them to Goodwill or whatever we do, handing them down. But in this time frame, you are hand-making every article of clothing. Every piece of string is hand-spun. It comes from the sheep. It comes from natural fibers. Having an article of clothing is very expensive. And so if we want to boil down the riddle to us, Samson's like, if you get this riddle correctly, I'll give you each a brand new car. But if I get it correctly, each of you will give me a brand new car. That's the value we're talking about. So when we hear about like a fancy pair of clothes, it doesn't hit us the same way. That's why the Philistine guys are willing to go to his wife and say, if you don't tell us the answer, we're going to burn you, like light you on fire, and your entire household. We're going to light you all on fire. So what does she do with this information? Well, this is a broken home. This is not built on a good foundation. This marriage is not built on a good foundation. This relationship is not built on a good foundation. She should have trusted her husband, Samson. If anyone in that entire planet at that time is going to defend their household, maybe you trust the guy that ripped a lion apart with his bare hands. But no, she doesn't because they keep secrets, because they're not united. They're not on the same team. And whether it's out of fear to protect herself or protect Samson, we don't know. But she decides she's going to get the answer of this riddle no matter what. Oh, what's another way you can destroy your home? Nag your husband till he wants to die. That is a good way to destroy a family. Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Well, I haven't seen a woman tear down her household with her own hands, but I've seen it done with her tongue plenty of times. Plenty of times. Emasculate your husband, nag your husband, complain about him, complain about other options, tell him he's never good enough. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And ladies, you are just one brick at a time beating him to death and tearing your household apart. Speak ill about him in front of his children. Speak ill about him in front of his uh, co-workers. Speak ill about him with your friends. Text message your friends. Talking to your mom or your dad. Great. You just go ahead, take that gasoline, and light your family on fire because that's what you're doing. If you want to build it up, you build it up the exact same way, just the opposite. Protecting the honor of your husband, respecting him, respecting him in front of his children, respecting him in front of his coworkers, and respecting him in front of his uh, family, in front of his parents and your parents. That stuff, it spreads. And it's either building up or it's destroying. Now, Samson, he's not a good guy, but his wife is just as much a part of the destruction of this family as everything else. And so there's the words of wisdom. Oh, does that mean I just have to respect this pile of trash no matter what? No, no, no. Go behind closed doors and you let loose. You guys have a real discussion. And handle your business. You know, that doesn't mean you're subservient to him. You're to love each other, submit to one another in godly affection, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5. If you need the model, go to Ephesians 5. All the trust in this home, it's gone. 
And so Samson is now being nagged so bad his ears are bleeding. I might add that part in for a little bit of effect. But it happened on the seventh day because she pressed him so much, he told her the riddle. And then she tells the men, and then the day that they're supposed to show up, I'm sure Samson's there with all his pride, how smart he is. He had written this riddle that's unbreakable, and they give the answer. How is Samson going to react? Well, he's a very passive, subservient guy. He's really empathetic to other people, right? Isn't he kind of scared to engage with other people and to confront people? No, the exact opposite. Let's see how well this goes. Verses 19 through 20. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. They have been divorced. This is Samson's first wife. Now, to me, the Bible is the most beautiful book in all of God's creation. We know this. But what amazes me in it, one of the things, is it is the master of the understatement. I love when it says, his anger was aroused. His anger was aroused? My anger is aroused when I'm cut off driving. You know, my anger is aroused when somebody calls out sick at, school, at uh, work. If someone says my anger is aroused, I don't go out and kill 30 people and take their clothes. That's a different level. But that's what the Bible says here. He is so upset about this. He's not going to go out and buy these clothes. He goes and kills 30 Philistines. And then he brings those clothes and pays it back. Hey, these clothes look kind of familiar. Are these, where'd you get these from? Kind of look like my cousin Phil. He, He used to wear something like this. I mean, how big is the Philistine tribe? They probably know each other. They probably know what happened. I mean, what happens when uh, some small town news happens? It travels like wildfire. Everybody knows. I personally believe they know exactly where these clothes came from. They know what the situation is, and there's nothing they can do about it. Samson is so strong, so aggressive, so brutal that they can't do anything about it. And so the rest of these chapters that we follow Samson are going to be them trying to kill him to stop him, but the Lord's going to use it. Well, he goes back to his parents' house. Parents, what do you think that conversation is like? I want you to put yourself at the kitchen table when your son Samson, who you just married off to a woman that you didn't want him to marry anyway, comes back after killing 30 people and says, hey, can I sleep on the couch for a little bit? How's that conversation going? The scripture is mute. We have no idea. Man, to be a fly on the wall in that conversation. These millennials, they come back to the house all the time. Well, what else do we see? Samson's wife is given to his companion who had been his best friend. Uh, We're going to see later on in the scripture, it seems that Samson's wise father makes this happen. They write him off as dead. He's dead to us. He just disappeared. He's going away forever. You've been abandoned. Now we're going to give you to the next most eligible bachelor. 
which is this guy. Again, just reinforcing the culture at that time that women have no rights, which is why I personally believe there is no love in this relationship at all. Again, I am speaking an argument from silence, which is very, very difficult when it comes to the scriptures and to be accurate to the text. That's why you have to be careful when you read Bible commentaries, when you're listening to sermons, and you're, you're studying from people, and you hear them expound on the scriptures, and you're like, man, this sounds so amazing. This is so right. Well, read the text and be a Berean, because it might be right, but it doesn't mean it's fact. You could say, wow, this is really beautiful, and it fits. It is possible, but it doesn't mean it's fact. We want to make sure we stick to the facts of the scripture. I do love, speaking of commentators, though, what Guzzi pointed out, though. He said, what do you think it would have been like to be the counselor if Samson and his wife had gotten marriage counseling? I thought, wow, that's something. Because I've been in some marriage counseling sessions, and some are really easy, and then some are really nasty, and then some are somewhere in between. And I thought, man, what would that be like? What would it be like to be the pastor who has to give the uh, marriage talk before they got married between those two? What did they say? I have no idea. Interesting. Did it even happen? We don't know. We'll never know. Now, we're going to go into chapter 15 next week. But how are we going to take this home? You know, how is this going to apply for us? The most important thing that I want everyone to know is this. There are people here that have divorces, multiple divorces, multiple wives at different times, uh, multiple husbands at different times. Um, you've had children go crazy. You've had children come back. You've had all kinds of really crazy situations in your life. Gone to court, gone to jail. Maybe you've murdered someone. Might want to keep that to yourself. But Samson is in the hall of faith. By grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ Jesus, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. As it says in Romans, does that mean that we can just go wild and go crazy because he's never going to leave us and forsake us? No, Paul says certainly not because of his grace, because of his mercy, it leads us to do better and better every single day. But you may think that church is for the good people. You, you may feel that God only loves the ones that did really well, that are running the race better than everyone else. And, and nothing could be further than the truth. When he sees you, no matter what your situation is, as a believer in Christ, he sees your righteousness, he sees his son's righteousness who took your penalty on the cross for our sins. Maybe you see Samson and you're like, well, you know, I'm the exact opposite of that. You know, I, I, don't, I get scared going up to the cash register at the store, much less trying to just get whatever I want whenever I want. I need to be like that. No, you just need to trust in the Lord and who he's made you to be. Who you are is who God wants. Who you are is who God wants. And he wants it to be an authentic relationship. Because the second thing I want us to know is it wasn't the ritual or the oath that made a relationship between Samson and God. And it's not our rituals, our oaths, our habits that make us loved or unloved in God's eyes or more importantly, righteous in his eyes. Because sometimes we do that for ourselves. We think we are because of X, Y, and Z. No, that is not true. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, to constantly growing closer into His image because of the freedom we have in Him, not the burden that we have in Him. And then finally, I want to point out 
Are we building our homes or are we destroying them? Are we protecting our marriages or are we ripping them down? A lot of times we think it's the big things. Most of the times it's the small things. It's the small conversations that we're having. One by one by one. Are you building or are you destroying? So with that, we're going to close out this chapter. Looking forward to the next one. This is better than any movie you're ever going to see tonight. I know that much. But we're going to close out the hour in prayer as we do on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, we like to have intercessory prayer. That means that we pray for one another. We lift each other up before the Lord. We pray one at a time, loud enough that we can all agree and hear together. If you do not want to pray loud, I can't stop you. Just pray silently between you and God because no one can stop you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for real stories with real people, Lord, because they apply to our lives. And you deal with us, the real us. We pray that you would guide us and direct us and have your will accomplished in us. In Jesus' name, amen.